Wendy, thank you for what you do. I appreciate what Miss Wendy does and the beautiful music that she plays. And I think it is a gift to our church. So I want to thank you for that. Exodus chapter 12. We'll be looking at the first 28 verses. Once you have found your place there, if you would, stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. The word of the Lord says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the, fle the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the, all the gods of Egypt. I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you, destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But whatever everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very, night, very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month, at, the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out from the, of the, out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. 
You will shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. And when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Let's pray. This is your word, O God. Use it as your instrument to convict us that we would bow underneath its authority because it comes from you, a holy and sovereign God, worthy of all obedience and affection and praise. I pray right now, God, as we dive deeply into your word, that you would unearth any sin that is lying dormant within our hearts and that we would run to Christ, who is our treasure, our Savior, and the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. As you can see from the title, this is called Fast Food. And there's a reason it's called Fast Food. Because this meal that will be eaten and partaken of in Exodus chapter 12 is done fast. It's eaten very quickly, hastily. And as we all know, I think we can all agree with this, meals are important, right? Meals are important, not just for our nourishment, but they also can contain some significance. You know, we celebrate the Thanksgiving meal, right? And we do that because it has significance to us. We get to reflect on what God has done in the past year, to think about all the things that we can be thankful for. So meals are important, not just for our nourishment, but to remind us of certain things, to remind us of certain truths. And the meal that we read about today in Exodus 12 has all of these ingredients because it signifies for Israel the great salvation that they have experienced by Yahweh's hand. This is, this is how they celebrate what God has done in Israel. And this is the main point of today's text from Exodus chapter 12, is that the Passover, what we're going to read today in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover reminds us of the great salvation that we've received through the atoning work of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's what the Passover will remind us today of. And so we're going to look at a couple of points about thinking through about this day, the Passover, and what it all entails. And the first thing is this, is in verses 1 through 10, we're going to look at preparing for the day. As Caleb already made mention that preparations are important, and preparations are important for Israel. And I want to ask if some people would join me up here for a second. Any of our, the best and the brightest of Crosspoint, I'm talking about our kids, uh, would y'all mind joining me up here? I, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Can y'all come sit up here with me? I know my sons will come up here. <clears throat> hey, y'all. Look at Hey, Sam. What's up, man? What's up? Okay, I got a question for y'all. So, has anybody been through a really scary storm before? Raise your hand. Yeah. Anybody, anybody know what a hurricane is? Yeah? Okay, let me ask you this. What do your parents do to get ready for a big storm? Go in the house. Yes, we do go in the house. Good job. You go in the pantry? In the, okay. You go to the safest place in your house? Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. 
or move to another house. That's how hurricanes work. Anybody else? Does your parents do anything? Do they go get stuff? Do they buy stuff? Anything like that? They buy stuff that you don't have to cook? What? Sandbags. Sandbags, good. Sandwiches, yeah. Turkey, yeah. They go to the tornado shelter, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Anything else that they buy and stuff like that? Lunchables, you gotta have that for a hurricane. You gotta, why do they do these things? Why do they buy sandbags and, we don't get, Right, there might be a shortage of food afterwards. So they got to make preparations. they got to get all this stuff together. Because so, they know that there's, there's a storm coming a couple of days. So you might want to get water to stack up on water because you, want, you might not have running water. You want to get Lunchables and stuff like that because you know you might not be able to cook stuff, right? Or even after the storm, you may, there may not be a place where you can go get things. So parents begin to get stuff together and they make preparations. Can y'all say that? Make people. Yeah. Can, can you say that? Make preparations. That's what your parents are doing. They're getting stuff together, getting ready, because they know the day is coming when a storm's going to come, and they're going to need all those things. Well, you know what we're going to learn about today in Exodus chapter 12? is that God tells Israel to make preparations, to get some stuff ready, because there's something coming that Israel needs to be prepared for. And it's when the Lord will pass over their houses. So he's going to tell them to get sacrifices and things like that, to get bread ready and things like that. Yeah. And to get stuff ready because the Passover is coming and sacrifices will need to be given so that the Lord will pass over their houses and they'll be delivered from the judgment. And so we're going to learn about today about preparation. I want to thank y'all for being so obedient, so good, standing up there, making your parents proud with your answers. Thank you so much. Y'all can go have a seat. Thank y'all. <laughs> so, we, we learned a lot of things about parents, their parents today. Unfortunately, we learned a lot about me. But as you know, we have to make preparations for big storms. We have to get ready and things like that. And Israel has been instructed here in the first ten verses about preparing themselves for the Passover. And that's what we find in the majority of the first ten verses here in Exodus chapter 12. Is that there's lots of things, instructions about Israel celebrating the Passover and what they need to gather together. Because this will become a feast and a festival to remind them about what is happening what, is, what God is about to do for them here in Egypt. And if you just look in the first two verses, this Passover, this Passover meal, and what they're to get ready for, is going to become so significant in their life to where they are going to revolve their calendar around it. You see that in the first two verses. Verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So this situation is happening and there it's going to be celebrated by the Passover and the Passover will become such a hinge point such a stalwart for them that they are going to revolve everything that they do around this meal because it's that significant it's like somewhat analogous to a vacation in some sense like where you 
make plans, you set the dates, and then you begin getting stuff ready. You begin saving money. You begin packing your bags weeks, months in advance, making plans and preparations, getting ready for that day. And this is what, this is what it is for Israel. It's so significant in their life that they revolve everything in their life around this event. Their celebration of the salvation that they've received from God's hand. And I just wonder for us, church family, is the salvation we have experienced in Jesus Christ so formative, so shaping for us, where we revolve our entire lives around it? Is it so? Does your calendar, does your family, does your life, does your job, checkbook, vacations, weeks, months, days, years, does it revolve around and center around the gospel and your salvation that you've received in Christ Jesus? What does your calendar say about what you value, what you prioritize, what is important to you, right? Because what the Bible says, what Paul says in Colossians 3.3 is that for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. It's hidden in Christ. It's surrounded by, it's covered by what God has done in Christ Jesus. So this is so significant what is happening here in the Exodus, God delivering Israel. They are going to make it a priority in their calendar. And so in, these, in this Passover is that there's lots of details about how they are to partake and prepare for these things. The details concern what kind of animal, the quality of animal, how they're to cook it, how they're to eat it, all these little details about this. But as Caleb mentioned this morning, is that the, it seems like it should not go unnoticed about the quality of the animal. They're not to be flipping about what kind of animal that they choose. They're, cho- they're to choose a specific animal of a specific quality. And that quality is what in verse 5? Without what? Blemish. Is that they're choosing a lamb without blemish it seems like it communicates to God and to others that God should get the best from us. He doesn't get second helpings. He doesn't get the second best here. He gets a blemish-free animal because that is what he is worthy of. But not only that, this lamb must be blemish-free because this lamb is going to be used to atone and to protect Israel from the coming judgment. And so anything less would not do. And so the Passover, the Passover is setting us up. It's setting us up for the coming Savior that we would need, right? The one who is spotless, blemish-free, perfect, atoning lamb whose blood covers us and delivers us from the coming judgment. Jesus is the final and better Passover lamb. As 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for Christ... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 1 Peter 1.18-19 Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hebrews 9.14 How much more, in comparison to the old sacrifices that were done by lambs and, and spotless free lambs, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
Jesus is the final and better Passover lamb who sacrifices himself on our behalf to save us from the coming judgment. And so, like God was doing for Israel, calling them to prepare themselves, get ready for the day that is coming, is that the Lord through Exodus chapter 12 is saying the same message to us here. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you made preparations? If you are here this morning and you have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, let me just say this. Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to stand before the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings? A holy God. Because it is only those who, through faith and repentance, who are covered by Christ's atoning blood and will be delivered from the wrath and judgment to come. Are you ready this morning? Have you made the right, correct preparations? Because the day is coming where you will stand before a holy God. Will you be ready like Israel? But these instructions that God gives to Israel, they're not just about preparing for them that day, but also instructing them how to behave on that day. How to behave on that day. This is point number two, verses 11 through 13. How Israel is to behave on that day. Now, I think we all know the difference in fine dining and uh, eating on the go, fast food, right? I don't know, you're probably one of those parents, maybe you're not, who feed their kids in the car, Neanderthals. Golly. Wow. I know that none of you in here have rushed into church or rushed into an important meeting. Have j- just eat it. Be, get it into you now. we got to hurry, right? Church is starting in five minutes. Just scarf down this donut, right? I know none of you do anything like that, right? We're on, on the way to a game or something like that. And I know none of you have fries all over your floorboard. or you ha- I know none of you have like a four-course meal underneath your seat from the many years of food that has accumulated in there. I know I don't. My wife's car, maybe. Just kidding. Yeah, the truck is bad. Uh, but we clearly know the difference in a sit-down meal where everything's clean and nicely outlined and laid out, where we can sit and rest and be at peace, right? And then something that's on the go, right? Now let me just tell you, Exodus chapter 12 is not fine dining. This is eating quickly on the go, what Israel's doing here. It's not sit down, it's eating on the run, and this is how God wants them to eat. On the go, quickly. He says this in verse 11. In this manner you shall eat. Right? The Lord is specific in how he wants his people to eat. I don't want you to eat like every day, like you eat every other single meal. You're going to eat differently on this day when it comes. So that's why he says, in this manner you're going to eat. And he says, you shall eat with your belt on, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now why these details? What does these details signify? Do I know? You're ready. You got everything prepared. Your bags are packed. You got your staff in your hand, your sandals on your feet. You're not lounging around in the chair. You're ready. You're eating in haste. You are not enjoying the taste of this meal at this point, right? You are ready, aware, vigilant, alert, and expecting something. And so this is how Israel is to eat on this day. They are prepared and awaiting the Passover when the Lord will bring salvation, deliverance, and judge his enemies. 
Israel is eating in a way that communicates their confidence that the Lord is going to do this, what He has promised them. That's what their eating communicates. They're eating in a way that communicates that they know salvation is coming. And let me just tell you this, Crosspoint, is the New Testament comes and takes some of this language from Exodus 12 to encourage us to live in such a way as we await the day when the Lord returns. It's to encourage believers to be on guard, to be ready, prepared, and, and living in Christ's return. Listen to this from Luke chapter 12, verse 33. It says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Now, that's the ESV, and I, I actually like the King James Version here. Anybody got the King James Version on them? What does the King James Version say right here? Verse 33 of Luke chapter 12. I'll just go ahead and say it. Let your loins be girded. Now you're like, why would you like a weird translation like that, Wes? Well, it's actually the language here. It's the language from Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Like, let your loins be girded. Like you are ready to run. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, King James. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is 1 Peter 1 and Luke 12 is encouraging the believers to say, be ready like they were in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Be ready when Christ returns. Be alert. Be vigilant. Be expecting something. Don't become complacent. Be ready because you know and are confident by what the Lord has said He will do and He will bring it about. And so this, verses 12, or chapter 12, verses 11 through 13 are reminding us, or 11 through 13, are reminding us to be vigilant in our walk with Christ, to be alert and ready, to not be lulled to sleep in these days. Are you ready? Are you living in light of Christ's return, imminent return? Have you grown complacent in your walk with Christ? If so, I think the Lord may be encouraging all of us and provoking all of us to provoke us to fear and trembling that we would be waiting in expectancy and that it would lead us to repentance and change and spiritual discipline. Don't be called off guard at the Lord's return. Be ready and waiting. And in light of that, in light of living in light of Christ's return, you live holy lives. We forsake sin. We gather with the body. We immerse ourselves in prayer and the reading of God's Word. We love our neighbors and our God. That's how you make yourselves ready. That's how you prepare for the Lord's return. That's it. Are you ready? Are you ready like the Israelites were when they were eating their food with their sandals on, their staff in their hand, and their belts around their waist? Ready for Christ to return. And then so living lives worthy of the gospel. And not only that, God also informs them what is actually going to entail in that day. What's all going to happen on that day when God brings this Passover through. And in verses 12 through 11, he says, or 12 through 13, he says this, I will judge your enemies in the striking of the firstborn. And in doing so, God is not only judging his enemies, but he is exposing Egypt's gods. 
before them as the frauds they are. Look at this in verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn, the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. This is what the plagues were doing. This is what this last striking of the firstborn is doing. It's not only judging Egypt, it's judging and condemning their gods that they cannot protect them. They cannot guard them. They are frauds. God is exposing Egypt and their idols for what they truly are. Isaiah 19 says this, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Why do the heart of the Egyptians melt within them? Because they're finding out that their gods cannot protect them. Their gods cannot guard them. Their gods cannot do anything for them. Right? So, remember this, Crosspoint family. On Judgment Day, God will not just be judging his enemies. He will be exposing all of our gods and idols that we've trusted in, that we've taken refuge in, that we've found comfort and support in. That's what he does. God will show himself as glorious and mighty and triumphant over his enemies and over their idols and their gods. And so I would just implore you, don't be left standing on judgment day with piles of your idols surrounding around you. And you have nowhere to look and no one to find support from. Because your idols and the gods of this earth have failed you. And Christian, know this. Don't put your trust in the vain things of this earth, as tempting as it may be. Because just as here in Exodus 12, God is exposing the idols and the gods of Egypt for the frauds that they are. And so let us learn from this, that anything that we put our trust in in this life will ultimately fail to us. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, store up your treasures where? In heaven and not on this earth. Because moth and rust and robbers, they get rid of these things. They take them out. They can't be trusted in. So place not your trust in the things of this earth because on the final day, God will expose it to the fraud. It is. And Israel will not only observe the judgment on their enemies and their gods, but but they will also observe deliverance through their faith and obedience to God. If they trusted Yahweh and His instructions and obeyed His commands, then the blood of the Passover Lamb will deliver them from the wrath and judgment. The blood of the Lamb will stand in the place of their firstborn. Man, this sounds a lot like substitution, right? The blood of the Lamb will stand in place of their firstborn. And for all those who do not have the blood of the Lamb covering their doorposts and their lentils, their firstborn, firstborn will be sacrificed. But for those who have the blood of the Lamb covering them, it takes that place. It is their substitute. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ is bearing that punishment and wrath for us as the Passover lamb is. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. Right? 
that we might become the righteousness of God. Mark 10, 45, this is from Jesus' own mouth. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The Passover lamb is taking the place of the firstborn, and so it is here in Christ Jesus. On Judgment Day, you only have two options. Either you will stand and be held accountable for your sins and pay the punishment and judgment for them, or Christ will stand in your place as your substitution, as your advocate, and as your Passover lamb. That's your only two options. You have no other options. And let me just say this. Learn from Israel here that the blood of the Passover lamb guarded and protected them from the judgment that's to come. And so it is with Christ Jesus himself. And what is to happen here on this day when the Lord brings judgment and deliverance? It's to be celebrated. When God passes over passes over Israel's houses and brings judgment on Israel's enemies, this day is to be celebrated. And remember, this is point number three, in verses 14 through 20, Israel is called to remember that day. Remember that day. I don't know if you had any special uh, tradition celebrations for New Year's. Um, when I was growing up, we would go to our grandparents' house, and we would eat the same meal. Um, we would eat black-eyed peas, cabbage, and cornbread. Anybody have that meal? Yeah. Didn't know why. There was a superstition that it was lucky. I never felt like eating cabbage would ever give me any luck. Right? But that's what we did. And it was a way of kind of celebrating, celebrating the past year and also celebrating the new year to come. Right? And this is what Israel was instructed to do is to eat this meal perpetually as a reminder and as a celebration. And this is why he says in verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And later on in that verse is a statute forever. This is not a one and done meal. They don't do this in Egypt and then just forget about it for the rest of the time. This is continually to be done over and over and over again by Israel and its future generations of Israelites. And the emphasis in these verses, particularly 14 to 20, is about what kind of bread they are to eat. And they are to eat unleavened bread. Has anybody ever ate unleavened bread? I don't know much about unleavened bread. I mean, I, I know Rachel Matthews, you know a lot about bread. And man, if you haven't eaten Rachel Matthews bread, eat it. It is so good. I don't know a whole lot about unleavened bread. I hear it's really bitter and it doesn't taste really good. And so you might be wondering, why, why, why do they have to eat unleavened bread? What, what emphasis does that have? What point does that make for them to eat this type of bread? Well, I think there's two things here. Is that, as we'll see later on in chapter 12, verse 39, is that the nature of the bread, the unleavenedness of it, is that the bread has the, doesn't have the ability to leaven because it's a reminder of the quickness they, that they got out of Israel. It was so quick that they had to depart Israel, the bread didn't even have time to leaven itself. That's how quick and fast and hastily they got out. But I think also, we're reminded in verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why do they got to eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs? Because I think it's a reminder 
for Israel of the harsh and bitter life that they had in Egypt. So they're eating something that was also bitter, right? The bitterness of taste is associated with the bitterness and hard and despairing work that they were subjected to for 400 years. And so by eating something bitter and something that doesn't taste good, it's reminding them of what they came from. Because the danger is that they would forget where they came from. That they would forget the bondage that they had to endure under the Egyptians. They would forget about these things. And look, we struggle with the same thing, do do we not? We struggle to be enthralled with the beauty and the mighty and the majesty of God and the glory of the salvation that He's given us because we can't recall just how sinful, depraved, evil, and rebellious we were before Christ saved us. We just can't recall those things. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you may have had a mom or dad say this to you. When you think you're big stuff, you think your head's all big, you think you're the talk of the town, you think you're awesome, there's nobody like you in this world, you're a one of a kind. And, you know, your mom, or to many of you, your mama, comes and says, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. You ain't that big a deal. You came from Drop Rock, Louisiana. It ain't New York. You're not that big a deal. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your upbringing. Don't forget these things. And that was the danger for Israel. And that's why he wanted them to eat Bitter things, things that didn't taste good because it is associated with something that they went through in the past and where they came from. Where God, them, God saved them out. And this is why the Old Testament and the New Testament calls us to remember who we once were apart from Christ Jesus. Who we once were. It's to remind us that we weren't that great. We weren't that significant. We weren't that awesome. We were actually the very opposite of those things before Christ Jesus. Remember who you were. Apart from Christ, you were in bondage of sin, lovers of the darkness, despisers of the light. Ephesians 2.11 says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. This is a great one, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, if you remember this, he goes through this list of sins where it says these type of people will not enter into the kingdom of God, gives this list of sins, and then he makes this great point. And such were some of you. You might be thinking, hey, yeah, I know people like that. I know those kind of bad people who aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I know those depraved, evil people. And Paul says, such were some of you. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where Christ saved you, what he saved you out of. And this is the importance of the meal and the bitterness and the bad tasting of the bread. It's to remind them, don't forget the depths of sin that you are in. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded of that. Maybe God is not so awesome and glorious and mighty to you because you forgot what God has saved you out of. Dead in sins and trespasses. And Christ came. And intervened. This meal is to remind us of these things. And this meal is also to be a reenactment for those who were 
were not there when the Passover happened, when the Exodus did not happen. It's to be for the future generations so that they would learn as well. This is point number four. Reenacting the day. I don't know, has anybody ever been to like an American Revolutionary War or Civil War reenactment, ever watched one of those? Where you, you see because clearly they're intended to educate people who are definitely not part of the Civil War, part of the American Revolutionary War, unless you are Stan Smith. Um, and he can give a first-hand account. But those reenactments are the, for the purpose of educating future generations who were not there in that moment, right? And so the Passover is to be reenacted year after year after year so they won't forget what the Lord did. It's a way to also educate future generations who are far removed from that day. And this is why he says here, look at this, verse 24, is that you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons. And there's probably going to come a day when your son asks, or your children ask, they say to you, verse 26, why are we doing this? Why are why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing this Passover meal? And that this Passover meal is a way to educate them because it's to remind ourselves of what God saved us from. The depths that God went to to save us. They will ask, why do we do these things? It's a teaching opportunity for their children. It's kind of like maybe equivalent to maybe you still go and put flowers on your grandparents and on, or your great-grandparents' grave, and you bring your kids with you, and they're like, why are we putting flowers on this, on this tombstone, near this tombstone? What's the point? This is my grandfather. This is my grandfather, E.L. Keys. And he loved Jesus. And he worked really hard. And I don't want you to ever forget about that and the history and the legacy that we have. That it's long before me and it's long before, before you. It's a teaching opportunity for them. Why do we do these things? Why are we celebrating the Passover? To tell them the story. It's an opportunity for Israel to evangelize their children for the coming generations. As Psalm 145, 4 says, Our generations, our generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And as we stated a couple of weeks ago, Future generations of our children and grandchildren will not learn these things by osmosis. They will not just inherently wake up or come out of the womb thinking, Jesus is Lord. Right? And that's not how it will work for Israelites either. That they just inherently know what God did for them many years ago in Egypt. For example, Israel neglected to celebrate the Passover for a very, very long time where it can be said in Judges, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. So the neglect of celebrating the Passover led future generations to not even know what God had did back in, back in Egypt. And that is the danger. Is that the danger for future Israelites is that they'll forget and not know at all. They want there to be no day in the future where a kid will say, is there a point to this? 
Why? I don't even know why we do this anymore. What's the point? Israel has a responsibility of keeping this Passover and transmitting the faith on to the children. Not saying that they will all come out faithful believers and faithful followers of Yahweh, anything like that. But it's their responsibility to communicate this. And I think this is even further, further evidence for us while we are responsible as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, as a church, to pass down and transmit the faith. Unfortunately, we see this too much, too much in the church. People forsake spiritual disciplines. People forsake gathering together. People forsake accountability, discipleship. And then one day, they have a family, and they wake up on Christmas and say, let's go to church. Let's go to church. Hey, family, we're a Christian family. Let's go to church this morning. And the kids respond, we are? Why would we do that? Why would we go to church this morning? That doesn't make any sense. And then those parents, when those kids go off to college, they're like, why don't my kids love Jesus? Were they supposed to? Where did they see that from? I don't, I don't know why my kid doesn't love the Lord, doesn't want to go to church, doesn't want to read the Bible and pray, doesn't care about spiritual things. Could it be because they never saw us read and pray? They never saw us love the Lord. They never saw us devote ourselves to spiritual di disciplines. And they only saw us come to church on Easter and Christmas and Mother's Day. Could it be? Could it be that one day our kids say, why do we do these things? Because I, I don't even understand it anymore. And I, again, I want to make a caveat. I don't, I'm not saying this wholesale. There are many faithful parents who are teaching their kids the gospel and being faithful. And the kids reject, reject the gospel. And there's many kids who grow up in a dark home that is hostile to the gospel. And they come out and are faithful to Jesus. So this is not wholesale. This is not a principle that if you apply it, it'll work all the time. But it does not negate our responsibility to transmit and pass down the faith to future generations as Israel was supposed to do through this meal. That's what they were supposed to do. And it's not just the parents and not just the grandparents and not just aunts and uncles. It's the church's responsibility as well. Our responsibility is to pass down the faith, to transmit it, to teach the gospel to future generations so that they would teach their children the same. And one of the ways that we do this, one of the ways that we pass on the faith, pass it down, remember what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, is through another meal called the Lord's Supper. That's the meal. That's the meal for us. When we come to this table, it's significant for so many reasons, but one is that we are celebrating what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And is the way that we are proclaiming what Christ has done for us. We are transmitting and proclaiming the faith to future generations when we take the bread and the cup. So next time, the first Sunday of the month, when you take that bread and cup, remember this. This is the way that we celebrate, like Israel did, celebrate what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and the way that we communicate to future generations and to the outside world. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, 
took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this also as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate a meal together, like Israel was instructed to celebrate a meal. But guess what? We don't have to offer sacrifices because we have the greatest sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the blemish-free sacrifice that has been made on our behalf this morning. We celebrate the Lamb of God that has been slain for the sins of the world. We celebrate His soon return where He will judge the living and the dead. And so let us remember what God through Christ by His Spirit has saved us from. And let's rejoice that God has enabled us to partake of this meal. This is what the book of Revelation says. And they sing the song of Moses, the servants of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And then Revelation 19 says this. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This morning, I want to implore you that through Christ and His Word, He is inviting you to partake of the meal. He's inviting you to respond through faith and repentance. He's inviting you to say, I have no other sacrifice that I can make. There is nothing in this world that I can do. I need Christ, the Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed for me. This morning, you may be here this morning, and you've come in here not knowing what to do. Maybe you're a wreck. Maybe you're in a bunch of chaos. Let me just offer this question to you. Are you ready? And if not, you can leave this place this morning ready. Ready for the Lord's return. And the way that you can prepare yourself for the Lord's return is by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, that Christ is the only thing that can cleanse you from all sin. This morning, you can have that. This morning you can have salvation. Today is the day of salvation. This morning, please don't leave out of here unprepared, not ready, not alert for the Lord's return. Make yourselves ready through repentance and faith. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for Christ, who is our Passover lamb slain for our sins that we could be delivered from the coming judgment and experience new life forgiveness, grace God I pray this morning that we would make ourselves ready and live in light of your return oh God it's in Christ's name we pray these things Amen